Hi, everybody. My name is Scott McKee, and I'm the senior pastor of Ward Church in Northville, Michigan. And I want to thank you for joining us during one of the most strangest seasons in history. A global pandemic, civil unrest, racial tension. This is an excellent time to be studying the words of Jesus. Some of you are brand new to us in these last few months, but we have been studying Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount since the fall. This has been a nine-month study, and today we hit the conclusion of this great talk. Today, Jesus will wrap up the most famous talk given in history. Conclusions are important. Conclusions sometimes summarize what's already been said. Sometimes conclusion could be a, a punctuation of the most important point. Sometimes a conclusion is the call to action. It's the so what of the speech. Conclusions are important. When I was a young pastor just starting out, a church member told me, Pastor, there are three important aspects to a good sermon. Number one, a sermon needs a good introduction. Introductions matter. Number two, a sermon needs a good conclusion. That's important. And number three, these two elements should be as close together as possible. And today we get the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to look at the final words in the Sermon on the Mount. And then next Sunday, we're going to look at the sentence that follows the final words in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is this. When Jesus had finished saying these things, after he concluded the speech, after the sermon was over, the crowds were amazed. And so next Sunday and the following Sunday, we're going to take some time to reflect on and celebrate over the ways that Jesus has amazed us this last year. And I'd love to hear some stories from you, if you wouldn't mind. Think about this question. How has Jesus amazed you recently? Think about that. It might be, how did Jesus meet you or amaze you during this pandemic or how did Jesus meet you or amaze you in the Sermon on the Mount over these last nine months? And I'd love to hear from you. Send me your amazed stories to stories at ward.church. I'd love to hear from you this week. Send me your stories, stories at ward.church. And we're going to incorporate some of those stories next week and the week after. And then these two amazed at Jesus Sundays... We'll wrap up our year-long study in the Sermon on the Mount. The end of June is also the end of our church program year and our church fiscal year. And we have a brand new sermon series to introduce in the month of July. So let's turn our attention now to the conclusion of the most famous, the most influential talk about human life ever given. Listen now to the words of Jesus. Take it away, guys. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Hello. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. 
But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the stream rose, the wind blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed in his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. And those are the final words of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Jesus violates some of the rules about conclusions that I learned in seminary. He ends abruptly, no heartwarming story or poem. Uh, he doesn't invite people to come back next week. Uh, the final word of the sermon is the word crash. And that's kind of how it feels. Jesus had a good reason for ending this way. He'd been teaching on the hillside about life. He's taught about sexuality and forgiveness and worry and judgmentalism. He said that you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. He said God's kingdom is coming near. Uh, he, he said that, uh, that uh, about what it meant to be good, truly good, from the inside out. And now here at the end of his sermon, he's calling us to commitment. At the end of this great talk, Jesus urgently presses for a decision from every one of his listeners about his grand invitation. He says, you're at a crossroads, whether you know it or not. You are at a decision point. And if we back up a little bit, we see he uses a, a several metaphors or word pictures to describe this crossroads, to describe this decision point that we're at. He says, you can either choose the, the narrow gate which is obedience to Jesus in all things, or you can choose the broad gate, which is everything else. He says you can either become a good tree that's flowing with such life that you just teem with goodness and generosity and kindness, or you can be a, a bad tree at the core that produces bad fruit. He says you can either build your house on a solid foundation, one that can withstand storms and pandemics and difficult times and false accusations, or you can build your house on shaky foundations that will not stand up when storms come. One day your house, your life will be shaken and it will be revealed for what it is. So in this final illustration, it's really two stories. And the best way to understand these two stories is to look at them side by side. What's the same in each story and what is different in each story? What's the variable? And when you find the difference, you find the point of the story. So Jesus tells a story about two men, a wise man and a foolish man. And in this story, both men build a house. This is not the variable. Everybody builds a house and we could substitute the word life. Everybody builds a life. Everybody builds their character, either badly or beautifully, intentionally or unintentionally, with God's help or all on your own, but everyone builds a house, everyone builds a life. And you can't get around this. You can't abdicate this responsibility. You can't blame your house building on your parents or your peers or your boss. Everybody builds a house and your building is based less on what happens to you 
which is what we tend to focus on, and more about hundreds of small decisions that are made over time. Everybody builds a house, everybody builds a life. Secondly, in this story, everybody faces a storm. This is not a story about storm avoidance, which is what we really want to do, but this is a story where everybody faces a storm. Into every life, some storm comes. You cannot avoid a storm uh, by having lots of friends or lots of money or lots of education. You can't even avoid a storm by having lots of faith or lots of prayer. There's a man in our church named Greg, about my age, and last year he was out jogging and he had a heart attack and he fell over on the ground. He wasn't found for a while and so he's alive, but he has significant brain injury, brain damage. He lives now in a nursing home. His family's not able to see him because of the current quarantine. Last week, one of his sons graduated from high school. And a few weeks ago, another son got engaged to be married. And to watch this good family navigate this terrible storm over this last year has been heart-wrenching. And at times, beautiful. God's redemption runs through it all. And it's a story still in the making. But storms come to good and faith-filled people. Everybody faces a storm. Uh, we're surprised when they come. We think we shouldn't have to face a storm. But the storm, the strength of the storm, will reveal the strength of the foundation. Now you have to know in Jesus' story, uh, he may not just be talking about problems in general. Uh, he has, may have something very particular in mind. In the Bible, a storm is often an image of the judgment of God that God does not intend to go on and let this world go on being messed up, that he will disrupt it and he will set it right. The story of Noah and the storm and the flood, you may remember, is a story about God's judgment on a wicked and messed up world. This could be the idea behind the storm in Jesus' story, that one day I will be accountable for how I built and lived my life, that one day the substance of my life will be fully revealed. Imagine standing before God in a moment like that. Everybody builds a house. Everybody faces a storm. And in this story, everybody hears the words of Jesus. This is not a story about people who have the Bible and don't have the Bible. This is not a story even about people who like Jesus and don't like Jesus. The wisdom of God through Jesus is fully available and accessible to everybody. The difference in this story, the variable in this story is the foundation. The wise man built his house on the rock and the foolish man built his house on the sand. Jesus says that people who hear his words and put them into practice and do what he says. They're like the wise man who built his house on a rock. And the people who hear the words of Jesus and do not put them into practice, they're like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. We have a decision to make. Will we live in obedience to the teachings of Jesus with his help? Or will we live another way? Now, the, the, the problem with this is we like to live in half measures. Right? I, 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 want to, I want to follow and obey Jesus sometimes when it suits me. 
I, I, I want a little bit of devotion. I want some generosity. I want God with me when I want him, and I want some distance from God when I want that. But you cannot build a half house. Jesus is laying it on the line here. You must choose. You must make a decision. Uh, which is so interesting because Jesus did not say this is a story about a good and an evil man. This is not about good and evil. This is about wise and foolish. People don't intend for their life to go this way. It's just, it's just foolishness. There is such a thing as folly, and Jesus knew about this. We, we don't choose to be evil. Life just kind of happens. Parents, you have asked your kids when they've done something silly, you've said, why? Why? And kids respond, I don't know. Uh, they're not lying to you, parents. They really don't know. There's some great YouTube videos around this. Why? Why did you paint your brother? Why did you put your head between fence posts where your head would be stuck? Why did you stick a Flintstone vitamin up your brother's nose? Why? And they say, I, I don't know. There's no reason behind it. It just wasn't thought through. If we could say to the foolish man in Jesus' story, foolish man, why? Why did you build your house on the sand? I think he would say, I, I don't know. I didn't plan to. I didn't intend for it to go that way. It just, it just kind of happened. It's just what happens when you don't choose something else. Nobody walks into a bar and plans on becoming an alcoholic. Nobody says angry words and plans on becoming estranged from their kids. Nobody gets married and plans on getting a divorce. Nobody nurses a grudge and plans on becoming a bitter and resentful person. It just happens. It's just pure folly. So we must choose and build, be intentional. Jesus is calling the question, will you follow me or not? Will you do what I say or not? This is the great commitment that Jesus puts before us today. Now, Jesus' advice on this in the Gospel of Luke, where he tells another little story about another little building project. This was his counsel to us. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? We must count the cost. And there's a couple ways to think about this. Uh, the cost of discipleship this is a great phrase from a great Christian named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. We must consider the cost of accepting this grand invitation to follow Jesus. And there is a cost. There's a price tag. What does it mean to surrender my plans, my ego, my treasures, my grudges, my reputation? There, there, there is a cost to following Jesus, and we should weigh it and measure it. But we don't think of it in these terms usually, but there's also a cost of non-discipleship. What's the cost if I do not follow this man, Jesus? For me, it means my life becomes an endless cycle of trying to gain human approval. For me, it's life without any hope beyond the grave. For me, it's life that means enslavement to desire or ego or reputation. For me, it's a life without purpose and hope. For me, I've decided that the cost of discipleship is actually far less than the cost of non-discipleship, but you must decide 
and Jesus is calling the question here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, will you follow this man? On the hillside that day, there were a lot of people listening to Jesus, and no doubt many were impressed. No doubt there were some critics in the crowd already filling out their comment cards. There were people who were entertained. But there was another group who listened to these words of Jesus, and their hearts started to race, just like some of your hearts are racing right now. Some of them, their minds began to run, and they thought, this is it. This is what I've been looking for my whole life long. The opportunity to live in a world of grace, the opportunity to have hope beyond myself, the opportunity to have purpose and to be part of what God's doing in this world, the opportunity to be absolved of my guilt. I must have this. I will follow this man, even if it means everything else. I, I will give up everything to gain what this man offers. I will pay the price gladly. I will do this. And people left the crowd and they became a disciple of Jesus. They followed him and loved him and lived life with him, not, not perfectly, not by a long shot. And so what about you? The question today is not, am I a believer or a non-believer? The question isn't even, am I going to go to heaven or not go to heaven? The question is, am I a disciple of Jesus or am I a disciple of someone or something else? Who will I allow to shape my life? Who will I submit myself to? And here's a commitment you might consider making today. Look at these words carefully. A commitment to say, I will follow Jesus. I will become his apprentice. I commit to being with Jesus each day to learn from him how to live and love. I will put his words into practice and follow his example. I do this humbly in the shadow of the cross and I do this hopefully in the light of the resurrection. You might want to take a photo of this or find this in the notes section of the app. Uh, this is there. Does this express your heart? You might want to print this out and sign your name to it. You might want to say these words aloud as a declaration of your commitment. We've been studying the words of Jesus for an entire year, and now we get to this joyful moment where we get to do what he says. We get to follow the commitment that began before the sermon began, where he said, follow me. And that's today's question. Will you follow? So I want to give you a moment now of, of silence to consider this grand invitation of Jesus. Will you follow this man? And I'm going to give you a moment. You can, you can read through these words. You can pray on your own. Pray honestly as much as you're able to respond to Jesus. And after a minute, I will close us in prayer. So will you join me? Hello, God, we thank you for Jesus, for this wise teacher, for this master of life, 
this master communicator, for the words that he taught and the way that he lived, we are so grateful. We pray not just that his words would shape us, but that, that Jesus would shape us. That we wouldn't just model our life after him, but that he would be our life, that he would live in us and through us. That we would experience his redemption, his reconciliation with God the Father, that, that his life would be our life. So God, we pray that you would help us to build on the solid foundation. Help us to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. Help us to be wise. Help us to be intentional. Help us to choose well. So Jesus, be for us our rock. Be for us our foundation. Be for us our cornerstone. And we pray this in the name of and because of and for the cause of Jesus Christ in us and through us and for this world. We do so in his name, in Jesus' name, our Lord, our Savior, our God. Amen and amen.